so I'm going to be preaching today from a huge section of scripture. Um, it's actually three chapters. So it's Exodus 25 to 27. Um, and it's about the detailed plans and the, the building of the tabernacle. And because it's a huge chunk of scripture, I am not, you're relieved to hear, going to walk through the entire scripture. Um, but I want to make sure that I get through and make some critical points, I think, um, lead us through something a bit different towards the end and leave time at the end for us to reflect Uh, And there's time for prayer, too, at the end. Um, Because it's so much scripture, if you can have your Bible handy or your Bible app open or whatever it is you're going to be using today, because scriptures will appear on the screen that I will not read um, because it would take too long, but you can mark them, reference them, and have a look. I'll also, um, on YouTube after this, when we upload uh, the video, YouTube and Facebook, I'll post a couple of links to someone I've been watching who expounds the Bible, I think, really well and goes into these three chapters in a lot of detail. It's a fascinating thing to watch. I'll send those links out so you can go deeper. Um, If you want to bring my prezi up, Aaron. uh, I've called today's message um, Exodus, a journey inside, um, journey inside out, and outside in. So a bit of a tongue twister there, but that's what I've called it. And, and it really is a two-parter today. I'm going to be doing two distinct sections. Um, just to kind of set the scene of where we are in the whole story of the Israelite nation, they've escaped the tyranny and the oppression that was happening to them in Egypt. They've fled. They're in the wilderness. They've had the Ten Commandments. There's been issues around that. Uh, and Moses has been called back up to uh, the mountain to meet with God and God's going to speak to him and he's going to be up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, And so um, if we go back to the beginning of chapter three, you remember God said, I will come and dwell with you. And dwell is one of the most exciting principles of the Bible, that God wants to dwell with us. He wants to dwell with us in Jesus. He wanted to dwell with the Israelites back then. That's exciting stuff to hear and it's important to know. And so as we get to, um, let's see if this is going to work. I don't think I can advance my Prezi at the moment, buddy. Let's see how we get on. Just uh, trying to click at the moment. Aha, here we go. All right, we're going to go into sort of before the actual building of the tabernacle starts. Um, we read this in Exodus 25, 1 to 9. God, instru- This is God instructing Moses in, in all these things. And he tells him to call the people together to willingly participate. It says this, from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this will, and this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze. And then as you see, it lists a whole bunch of materials um, and things to bring. Uh, and if you recall in the burning bush, um, when God said, um, when you leave Egypt, take things from Egypt, ask your masters, ask them, and plunder is the word often used, bring things out. That, that list is those things. So now we're starting to realize what that list was for. Um, and then God says this, and let them make for me, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and, all, and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. So God then is going to give Moses detailed instructions of how to build this dwelling place place for him, known as the tabernacle. His promise, God's promise, 
his promise, and remember God's promises are true and just, and he always fulfills them, is that he will dwell with his people. That's great news. You can see why um, the Jews get so excited about this story, because it's amazing to hear that God's willingness to dwell with them inside the tabernacle. And that's how Exodus is structured. It's structured from the inside out. It starts at the center, and it works its way out. And so if it's okay with you, what we're going to do is we're going to journey from the inside out of the tabernacle as scripture lays it out as well. So we start with, um, I'll put it on the screen now, the ark. Um, yes, the one from Indiana Jones, we know the ark, but this is the central piece of the tabernacle. And it's detailed in 25, uh, 10 to 22. It's made of acacia wood, which is incredibly hard, tough, but very common wood, a very sort of unimpressive wood, but strong. And it's covered in gold. And we know its measurements to be 45 inches by 27 inches by 27 inches. Um, because it, we're told it in cubits, and a cubit is around 18 inches long. Um, and here's a fun fact for your pub quiz. The reason that cubits was used as a very common measure, any guesses why it's used as a very common measure, 18 inches? It's the length of your arm, the average adult's arm. So everyone could measure cubits. It's so just like, well, it's one and a half. That's how cubits became such a common source of measurement. 18 inches, a cubit. So, you know, you can walk around people saying, look, at here, I've got a cubit. Anyway, but it was, um, it said it was to um, have two cherubs, angelic beings on the top facing each other. And most people picture facing each other, but looking down at the top, the lid of the ark. And the lid of the uh, ark was solid gold. Okay, so it's solid gold. But that lid is translated in our Bibles as the mercy seat. And we're going to come back to that later. It's from a word, a hilasterion, a Greek word. Um, which came from the Greek uh, translation, the Septuagint of the Bible, the earliest Greek translation. And they used the word that is hilasterion that we translate into mercy seat. And we're going to come back to that hilasterion later because it's very important. Inside the ark is the ten a copy of the Ten Commandments. The law which is God's, we, we spoke about it weeks ago, yeah? God's way of showing us how to live, but also the law highlights our inability to live the way God wants us to, our inability not to sin. We had a rating of a church. I think we came out, did we say 5.6? We're 5.6, keeping the commandments <laughs> church, uh, averaged by, you know, to people on the extremes perhaps, but that's what we are. We have an inability to keep God's law, even at 10 specific commandments. Okay. So we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. The big wow is coming, and it's this thing. He says in verse 22, there I will meet with you. I mean, this, he says to Moses, build this thing, and there I will meet with you. This is no small thing. You do that, and I will come and dwell amongst you. This is amazing. That mercy seat, I'll come and dwell amongst you on top of the ark. So incredible stuff. God's promise that he said he would come and dwell, it's starting to happen. All right, let me show you the next thing. It's the, it's, it's the building of the, the, the tabernacle proper, they call it, the piece inside. And this cross-section, I hope, will be enough for you to kind of work out what's going on. So the first thing is, um, let's see if it's going to behave itself. I'm trying to click because it's got arrows on it. 
the holy of holies. Uh, so the first thing is there's the room which contains the, the ark is a 15-foot square room, perfect cube. Chapter 26 details out what that's called. But it's a room that no one can enter except on Yom Kippur, which you may have heard of, which is the Day of Atonement. Once a year, a high priest can go inside, and he will pour blood or sprinkle blood on the mercy seat for the conscious and unconscious sins of all the people exposed by the law that is inside the 10 commandments exposes just the beginnings of those sins and he sprinkles the blood over and the blood will cover their sin and god would show mercy as the cherubs looked down they would not see the sin but they would see the blood covering the sins of everyone and in that room was so powerful and you've seen Indiana Jones. If you hadn't, then I don't know where you've been for the rest, most of your life. But Indiana Jones, when they open the ark, there's this amazing moment of power. Now, I'm not condoning the film as particularly scripturally correct, but the point is when they lift the lid off, they're zapped by the power inside the ark. Now, that is a reflection in some ways, a cinematography reflection of the truth of this. That room was the presence of God. And once a year, the high priest could go in. Now, if you don't know this, it's an interesting thing as well. He had, bell, he had a robe with bells on the bottom that were continually jangled as long as he kept moving. And he had a rope tied around his foot. Why was that? Because the belief was that if those bells stop ringing, he's probably dead. And they would drag him out by his foot because they couldn't go in and get him. It was like the high priest, maybe wasn't such a good high priest. Get another one. This one's, this one's gone. And they would pull the high priest out because of the power and the presence of God in that room and the need to be right before him. All right. The next thing is uh, the veil. Now, the room was separated. So that cube, that, that, that 15 foot cube, the way in was through a veil which separated the room out. And again, only the high priest once a year could go through that veil. The next thing you have is the holy place, which is the rest of the tent structure, the tabernacle proper. And it's twice the size of the, um, the Holy of Holies. It's now 15 feet wide, 15 feet high, but 30 feet long. Okay, and that's where the priests would perform their duties. Uh, and they would come in, but having been ceremonial, ceremonially washed using a, a, a bronze basin just outside the door, they washed their hands and go through various things. And then they could go in and do the things that you're going to see happening within the holy place in front of the holy of holies two separated rooms inside the holy place was the altar of incense which uh the the smell of incense filled the room with fragrance and they would burn incense daily representing the prayers of the people going up to god next to that you see it there the table of bread or the table of shoe bread as it's sometimes called and on that is 12 loaves those 12 loaves represent the tribes of israel the 12 tribes that are developed within the israel nation and the bread is an acknowledgement of what it's an acknowledgement of god's provision daily bread so that would be replaced daily some say weekly but some say daily but it's a it's a an, an indication of god's continual provision for them and later on they will place inside the ark a jar of manna to represent what god did for them when he fed them in the wilderness Okay, the next thing, the last thing in there is the golden lampstand, um, which is there. And that is on the other side of the room, and it's called the menorah, often called the menorah. Um, and that was the only source of light inside this room. And if you can see from the cross section, there are layers and layers and layers of material on this. So it's going to be very dark inside. 
the only source of light in there is the menorah. And in fact, later on, they, they called um, this, the tabernacle and the temple, the light of the world. The light inside it is the only light that shines in that darkness. And you needed light to guide you in there. All right. Interesting stuff, I guess. The history lesson continues. Um, but I'm going to take you outside now. Aaron's trying to keep up with me. I'm continually clicking. <laughs> uh, out into the courtyard. So now you see the tabernacle proper there at the back, and you have this huge courtyard. And that has been built, all of this has been built to God's detailed specifications. And on top of that uh, tabernacle proper, the tent is, is layers of material, each with a different color, a different significance, and a different purpose. You can read all about that in chapter 27 uh, as well, and chapter 25 and chapter 26. It's all over this chat section of scripture. So as we enter the courtyard, um, you'll, you'll sort of, as you come towards it, you see around it is a seven-foot wall all the way around that you could not see through. Um, and it's described in chapter 27. The courtyard is 75 feet wide, 150 feet long. And there you see just in front of the, the sort of front of, but not the entrance to, it's around the side, the front of the, the tabernacle is that basin that they would wash their hands on. Um, so that's the bronze basin I just mentioned before. Uh, and then you see in front of that, the bronze altar. And that's where the sacrifices were made. God's instruction was, if you sin, there is a price to your sin. And so there should be. We all want justice. We all know when things go wrong. We all, uh, it's been prayed that when there's in, uh, before, injustice is going on. We want things to be put right. When there's sin, when there's injustice, there should be a price. And God sees our sin. And if you want to acknowledge that sin and then you pay the price, you sacrifice a clean, spotless animal as atonement for that sin. And that's where it was done. Okay, so the, the thing at the front is the door. Uh, the one way in. That's the last thing we see as we pull back from the tabernacle and, and the courtyard. There's this door. And it's the only way into the courts. To come close to the presence of God, you have to go through that one door. So... We've journeyed from the inside quite quickly out. Hopefully those things have landed as you've kind of appreciated the little history lesson there of going out. But what did you see and what did you hear when you, when you hear of all those things as they go out sequentially towards the door, all the way from the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies to the door? Then you can see many things there. What I see is God's grace. I see God's grace. God's making a way for people to, to come to him and for the forgiveness of their sins, to receive mercy where we should receive his wrath. I see mercy in there and I see grace. But I also see constraints, restrictions, and a lot of things that need to be repeatedly done to enter into his presence. And it seems complicated and what you've got to then remember, and why is the tabernacle sheets, and if you read the details, planks and cords and hooks, because it's poor, it needs to be portable. The, the Israelite nation will move as the cloud in the sky indicates that they are following. They need to move. They have to pack. They just think how complicated that was. Pack it all up, and when they settle again, rebuild it again, exactly to the same specification. It had to be transportable for this huge nation to be able to set up the tabernacle wherever they were so God could dwell amongst them wherever they were. And it's a, how long can they keep that up? How long can they keep rebuilding it, rebuilding it, rebuilding it? And you'll hear later in the Bible about Solomon who builds the temple, the fixed version of the tabernacle, where everything is much bigger and much grander, but a representation of what is in the tabernacle. 
all right, we're going to journey um, the other way. So we're going to go from the outside in. Um, so that's how we're going to journey in the, the different direction. And um, in order to do that, I want to just pray before I do. Because what I've got to bring is very different for me. It's something I felt God has laid on my heart to do. Uh, and, and I think God wants to use it. So let me just pray before I carry on. Heavenly Father, I want to ask you to use what you laid on my heart to do this very different way of sort of the second half of this message. That everything I say, Father God, only by your spirit will it, will it go through and will it last. Anything that I've put in there, Father God, will just fade away like vapor. But the message you want to convey in this, I pray, is heard by every one of us, even though we're separated and we're looking at computer screens and phones to hear this. I pray that you would anoint this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let me read um, Hebrews 9, 11 to 12. Um, uh, and let me just read this. It's, it's an incredible um, thing to read. It follows verses 1 to 10, which if you read Hebrews 9, 1 to 10, it's like a summary in, in 10 verses of what I just told you about what the tabernacle was and what it was there for. But it says this after it describes the tabernacle. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and the more perfect tent, not made by hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. I'm going to ask you to take a journey with me from the outside in with Christ. Because this is where we can, and it's very dangerous to do this as like a habit, continue look at every line of the Old Testament and continually think, oh, that's about Jesus. You could argue that, but actually some of the Old Testament, that's not really what it's trying to tell us. It's talking about other things. But this, for me, is, is, is an absolute uh, line to Jesus, the tabernacle and what it was there to do. So Hebrews 9 does, is why I just read, does exactly that. I believe the tabernacle was a temple that represented, uh, the tabernacle and the temple, sorry, that represented what's going on in heaven. It was an earthly representation of heavenly things. If you read Revelation and the sort of things that was revealed in that, you, you start to realize this is a earthly small shadow of what is happening up in the heavenlies. Um, and how we are to approach God. So with me and Jesus, we're going to take that journey with him as our authority. But I want to make something very clear. This is not scripture. This is not me bringing you some prophecy that I've had. This is something that I think the Holy Spirit inspired me to write when I was getting prepared. Um, and so I'm actually going to read it because um, I wrote it down. So just listen. You don't have to look at me while I do this, but just listen, because I want you to imagine this. I want you to picture this in your mind's eye as I walk us with Jesus in to the temple. So I'll put the picture back up so you can just, we can have it small maybe, and, and you can just kind of stay along. I stand at the door outside the whole courtyard, and Jesus says, do you want to go in? Because as John wrote about me in John 10, 7, Jesus said, I am the door. And then in John 14, 16, he says, Aunt 14, 16, he says, Andy, he wrote this about me. And it's true. I am the way 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You're going to hear from John a lot um, because Jesus, in my version, is to refer to the, the, um, the writings of John, which is about him anyway. So from the very outset, we are outside of God's presence, outside of his courts, and we need a way in. Jesus is the way, and he's the only way. As I looked to approach the bronze altar, I'm asked by a priest, what worthy sacrifice do I bring? As I go to answer, Jesus speaks for me, quoting 1 John 2, 2. I am the atoning sacrifice for his sins. And not only for his sins, but also the sins of the whole world. And the gatekeeper quickly steps aside. Now we walk towards the holy place as we walk towards that tabernacle proper. Jesus cleans my hands and says, you're okay to go in. And I look at him and I say, but it's only for priests. And he says, I have made you a priest like Peter wrote for me. You are part of my royal priesthood and it's okay to go in. I stare at him a bit confused and stunned, but in I go. In this darkened room, I can only see because of the menorah, because of the candle stand. I need a guide to show me in this room the way to God. Jesus said, remember what I said, Andy, captured in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of the world. I see over the other side of the room, the table of the showbread representing what we need to live. And Jesus whispers in my ear, I am all you need, Andy. Come to me and my father daily. And he reminds me of John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now I look to the entrance to the Holy of Holies and I smell the smoke of the altar and the incense. And Jesus said, you can smell it. It's the prayers of the saints, sweet-smelling incense. My father smells them. My father hears them all. And then I ask, so I need to hand over now, okay, right? To the high priest who can do the last bit, go through the curtain. This must be as far as I can go. He looks at me and says, Andy, you know the word of God. Let it live in you. And then he quotes perfectly, Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new way and life-giving way through, his, through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Then he mentions Ephesians and he says, oh, it read in Ephesians. You read it, Andy, 3.12, in me, Jesus, and through faith in me, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now look through the incense. Look through to the veil. Andy, remember what I did. 
And by the way, just for you to know, by the time that vow was in the temple, not in this tabernacle, by the time it was in the temple, it was 60 foot high, not 50 foot high. And it's said to be four inches thick. It was the strongest of veils. And Jesus then tells me of Matthew 27, 5 to 50 to 52. This is Jesus speaking to me in this, this picture. And when I cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up my spirit, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. I look through the smoke of the incense and I see the veil is torn. Did you see what I did, Andy? You can walk right in. Now we approach the mercy seat. The ark that holds the laws that show me how I regularly fall short. And Jesus tells me in Hebrew, that was called the caparet, which simply means lid or cover. But when that was translated into Greek, they used the word hilasterion, which you now call mercy seat. Do you know what that word better translates to or also translates to, Andy? It translates to that which, that which propitiates. Andy, that is what atones. It pays for. It covers your sin. Remember what I told the priest at the gate when I said that line from 1 John 2, 2? What it tells you, Andy, is that I am the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for your sins and not for yours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Aaron, could you just ask John and Hannah to come back in and we can get ready to worship again? Jesus says, you see the blood covering on the caparet? That is my blood, Andy. I am the hilasterion. I am the one that covers your sin. I fall to my knees tears streaming down my face i say i don't get this i don't understand why you did this for me we're going to take communion together if you want to get your bread and your juice or wine and i'm going to read from luke 22 17 to 20 and he took the cup and when he had given thanks he said take this and divide it amongst yourselves for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup is that, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Let's take this together.